0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams and I'm rejoined after a week off by David Hughes. How are you getting on me? I'm very good, thank you Josh. How are you? I'm alright, yeah. I had a little break myself, <laughs> but
0: put the podcast first, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my uh, my priorities are coming into question over these last seven days, but um, you know, hopefully
1: people will forgive me. It was nice to have a couple of days off. Yeah, well to be honest, the uh the stand in, me and Christian, uh we actually predicted the first game pretty as wrong as you can possibly get it probably. Um <laughs> but it's, we saw dogs Arsenal. Maybe
0: what? talked about talked about very early on of of the restart where you know if if Liverpool are just gonna lose that that one or two percent in terms of motivation once they won the league, um then it's gonna be enough to to maybe just create these kind of craziness, crazy moments, these irregular things that don't normally happen in Liverpool games with Liverpool players. And obviously you're playing teams as well who are, who have still got their own ambitions um, to pursue over these final games. For example, Arsenal, you know, they need a win to kind of keep European hopes alive. You know, Liverpool live have I know they were pursuing the the record points tally, which I do believe was a motivation, but obviously not to the same extent of trying to win a league title. And um I think yeah, all those factors just create this this little bit of a of a different Liverpool side that we've seen over the last couple of games.
1: Yeah, I mean on the day Liverpool was really quite dominant, um, to so, you know an impressive level really, more more so than the last time we visited the Emirates. Um, sixty-seven percent of the ball, twenty-four shots to three, and an expected goals value of two point six against zero point nine. So. You know, that's very much, I don't know, maybe a 2-1, 3-1 one, one win for Liverpool, according to the XG at least. Uh, obviously, mm. it's not as simple as that. But if, once you consider that Arsenal's XG is 0.9 of three shots, I think that kind of captures that. Arsenal have had three shots there with 0.3 each. And, you know, 0.3 as an XG value for for a single shot is, is quite decent. Um I, th- I think the three shots that he did have two stems from mistakes and I think I think all three were inside the box. So mm. um yeah, I suppose it's, it's I think Liverpool had twenty four obviously, but uh, I I don't remember that many where I thought to myself that should be fine in the net. I think a lot yeah. of them were quite in quite congested areas and um kind of headers and scuffed shots and stuff like that. And, yeah, it was just mm. one of them games that was that was quite quite difficult to analyze using using solely the numbers. I think you it, once you see the mistakes, the kind of the the, the mistakes are what tell the story of the of the match really.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot a lot was made, wasn't it, about the difference in the shot counts? But I thought you make a really good point there. It's something I thought after the game. You know, Arsenal have three high value chances and. You could put in a little bit more noise, I suppose, if they would have had a couple more shots either side of that from distance, you know, to increase the shot count. But in reality, they've had three really good chances, um, so it doesn't really matter if they had any kind of half chances either side. Whereas Liverpool, yeah, okay, they comfortably better and um, comfortably won the XG on the day, which does tell a story to an extent. But it'd be interesting to know how many of those shots would. You know, sorry. How much of that XG was basically basically just an accumulation of low value shots as opposed to really high quality chances? And you know, from from memory, I haven't looked into it, but I'd probably say it was more of the first uh, and accumulation of quite a lot of low value shots. And um, yeah, it was just it, it was just a, as you said, a really difficult game to analyse. I also don't think we can pay too much attention to the. Possession numbers either Because For me now It feels When it comes to Liverpool You know Part of an opponent's Blueprint in terms of Trying to get any Any sort of results Against them Is to just give them the ball Because obviously They've got that fear of The pace On the counter And and how Liverpool Can exploit spaces So Yeah A a really difficult Game to analyse And as you said The narrative comes from The mistakes
1: Yeah I mean looking at the the open play shots here i'm going to share a screen with you now um apologies for the the listeners as opposed to the the viewers um but hopefully you can see that yeah we can yeah yeah those are liverpool's shots from open play on the day um obviously there's about seven i think from outside the box there but there's actually a fair amount inside the area Um. And there's quite a few. I, to be honest, looking at, looking at that, I probably would expect Liverpool to score certainly more than one goal. Um, you know, okay. there's the, the the bad location. Obviously, it doesn't put into perspective that how crowded the the area would, would, would have been. I'm I'm sure that would have been the case. And um, and I do I do actually remember um, the goalkeeper, Martin, Martin as I think it is having quite a decent day. Um, I think there's obviously quite a few shots in an Al Sadio Mane's area, which I think everything was Liverpool's best player on the day. But yeah, I mean, looking at, looking at that shot, I may, I may be a little bit surprised by that. I think
0: it'd be interesting to, if you had a look at the um, the post-shot um, yeah. XG map of these, because I'd, 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 I'd be interested to see what the at the end of the... Um, in, in terms of the XG, XG value of these shots, because they look good location shots. wise, don't they? But I do wonder whether, um, from an actual goal threat point of view, just how how good they were as as chances.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can I'll actually just double check then, so just to get the um, you know, to get the, a vibe on how how Arsenal's defence and how Arsenal's goalkeeper and stuff like that was impacting. Whether the shot quality was good or whether the shot quality was you know bad, basically in a yeah. crowded area. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. in s on in- in- Liverpool shots, uh Salah has now averaged has now taken eighteen shots in three matches. But I think he's only scored two. Um mm-hmm. and Sadio Mane, you know, for for perspective on that, has taken sixteen shots since the actual restart. Um I think that offers a, a a proper insight really into why we tried to capture Salah on this show as a proper output merchant and stuff like that, because he he doesn't really, he hasn't felt, certainly in the Arsenal game, as though he was that involved. Um, I think the only game out of the three where he really felt involved for me, watching it, was Brighton. Uh, I think he took eight shots in that game. But, you know, there's there's been 10 shots in this past two games, and... um, yeah, he scored two of them, which I think offers an insight and said that he is kind of the type to not really convert at a particularly high level. And mm, he, takes, mm. you know, he takes shots from areas that, you know, maybe you could improve his location a bit, or maybe you could make a final pass. I think I think Mane's XG gp shot, for example, I think is amongst the best in the league when I checked. Uh, but yeah, I just i to point out the numbers because I think the the offer an insight basically into the differences between the two players there. Yeah, um, I just wonder if if, if Salah's becoming really
0: um, focused on trying to win the Golden Boot. Really, I know I know people don't have a lot of time for personal accolades, but I think it is something that he he wants to win and enjoys winning. Um, has he has he won the last two? Is it last last two he's collected? Yeah, he won the last two. Yeah, and that was a joint award last year, but um. Yeah, and I just wonder if all these last few games, now the um, now the league's been born. I do wonder whether he's just a lot more goal focused. And I mean, he's always been a, an output merchant, obviously. Um, but I wonder if we're just seeing it heightened a little bit um, in terms of trying to try to score one or two more goals and and, and win the award. Um, I just wonder if, that, if that's in his in his thought process at the moment because. It just seems to be shooting from from anywhere, even more than usual by his standards. Um, so I don't know. I, I I don't know if you agree, Josh. I just think that could be something that's playing on his on his mind a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, I think that, uh, one thing with that I can't really it's hard to get past with with the eyes, um, and it's it's, it's, exactly, it's exactly the same with still, When it comes to the actual execution of the shot, it the shot the shot's just just seems to feel quite feeble and mm. quite quite um, not a lot of power behind them, and it's almost like a child has hit the shot. Um, <laughs> in comparison to, say for example, the way Mane strikes a ball, or um, the way De Bruyne strikes a ball for City, but the way Salah and Sterling seem to do it. Obviously, they get a, a loads of goals, and, that and I can't really knock them in that in that in that sense, but just the way they finish sometimes, I, I kind of look at, look at the, the way they attempt to finish sometimes, i thinking to myself, did you really think that would go in? You know what I mean? Mm. Some of those jobs mm. you take, they're almost like the passbacks sometimes, and I think Sterling in particular is really, really bad for being presented with a a chance really close to goal, and scuffing it to the extent where it goes wide. I think Wenger spoke about that before, and I think I, think, I think I watched an interview of, Finger before on it, and he, he said he can still improve his. I think he said his, his composure when he's presented with um, kind of high octane opportunities close to goal, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the difference with Salad and Marnie. I think Marnie seems to, when he's presented with a low quality opening, I think he's more inclined to think, I'm not going to take that. Um, and when he is presented with a High quality opening, he will take it, and not only will he take it, but he'll execute well. Whereas Salah mm. is more open to taking the low, low, low opportunities, and when it comes to executing, it's a bit more. Um, I don't know, just a bit less powerful and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It, it sounds like i have been really simplistic there.
0: No, I understand. I am um, I I I just wonder if maybe the. We're impacted by the the narrative in the sense of um, cause he, cause he has such a high output that you see so many um different shots, such a variance in the shots from from where they come from and you know, distant from goal, um, that we see a lot more low quality that then naturally have a low execution to them. But you know, with with such an insane goal record, and he's also scored really good goals as well in the past, hasn't he? I do wonder if. And you do kind of allude to it just then where you said, you know, Mane, if he's in a position where it's got low probability of leading to a goal, he'll normally try and pick out a pass or maintain possession where there's, I think, and we've said this weeks ago, months ago, that Salah can be a little bit wasteful and people get a little bit defensive over that. It's, it's You know, nobody's saying he's a bad player, he's been immense for Liverpool and, you know, his first name on the team, she pretty much, or one-off, but you can also admit that he can be fairly wasteful Um, and sometimes he can kill the momentum of attack by attempting a shot that was never really going to lead to a goal. Uh, I think all these kind of efforts do linger in terms of our memories when watching the game and kind of form a little bit of the narrative.
1: Yeah, I think the word for him, for players like him, I think he's kind of like a low percentage player if he Mm -hmm. sees an opening and there's Mick. The way some players would maybe work out, okay, there's, there's a 25% chance that i will actually pull that off. Mm. A lot of players, according to 25%, would think it's not worth it. I think Salah is different in that regard. I think Bruno Fernandes is another player like that. Another output merchant, but he tries an awful lot and maybe a quarter of it comes off. Uh, and Salah's the same. Um, just on that expected goals thing that we mentioned, so, according to a different provider, but but we have post-shot here, um, Liverpool's expected goals on the day against Arsenal was 2.1, but the post-shot expected goals was 1.6, um, mm. which suggests that the location of the shot was decent, the location of the shots were decent, but once the shot was taken, in terms of power and trajectory and Positioning of the goalkeeper, and, you know, position of defenders and stuff like that. Obviously, if it's reduced to one point six, that suggests that you know there's been a bit of an impact there on from Arsenal's de- defence and Arsenal's goalkeeper, maybe. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. that's basically what
0: I am. Um, I, um, I suspected when when I had when I saw the map. Um, I think it would have been you know interesting to see the post shots and. As you've just highlighted there, it shows that although Liverpool were taking shots from decent locations on the surface, they probably weren't the best chances on on the day. And um, Yeah, it just goes back to it just being a, a little bit of a another kind of frustrating result uh, and, and in some ways frustrating performance that looked really dominant on paper but maybe wasn't as, as straightforward as that
1: in reality. Yeah, just... Just the next little point that I haven't actually put down in the uh, in the agenda, um, and <laughs> I got to message this week. I, I was tweeting, tweeting a, a listener of the show actually. So you know, if you're listening right now, I know he listens. Don't be offended. I'm just talking about this, Um but he he actually said he he doesn't believe that um, professional footballers have a lack of motivation in terms of winning the match. My my point was kinda like, you know, the fact that we've now won the league, I think it's it's just natural for the logs to be a slight drop off. Not necessarily from the off. But say for example if you go a goal down, maybe the lack of motivation to not lack of motivation, just just less than normal to actually get back into it. And um I think a lack of moti- motivation can maybe impact your focus. It, you know, if you look at Van Dyke's mistake, for example, that's just a mistake he doesn't he would not do if he was completely concentrated as normal. And I think, I think one one of the things I said soon was, you know, for me, motivation motivation changes. It's it's not it's not something that's a straight line. Motivation will change from week to week depending on who you're facing, the scenario. That's why mad things happen at the end of the season, friendly matches and stuff like that. Um, so just just before we we maybe move on to Chelsea. Just, have you got any take on like, whether Liverpool players may be impacted on the mental side in the past few games? Because just for a bit of perspective, i just really, really quickly. Since the restart, Liverpool have drawn, won, lost, won, won, drawn, lost. Now that's, that's not the form of the team we knew before, and I think a lot of people would be inclined to think it's down to the mental side, but I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. I I personally do think that <laughs> it, it impacts
0: it. I just think it's just it's think impossible it's... to replicate an, a kind of an in-game... I'm um, sorry, you know... A high, highly intense title race when the title's already won. I just think that's impossible. I think the, the human psyche is is built in the way that you just motivation can only take you so far. And, and by, what what I mean by that is the the motivation within and you telling yourself, you know, we still want to go and win this game. And I think there's no there's no doubt that you know the players and and Klopp and everyone will be saying, you know, let's go out there. We can still achieve this points tally on top of the title, but I do just think that extra two or three percent can't be fabricated. I think it needs to be there. Um I think that can only that can only be there based on the environmental situation behind you and, and around you. And um unfortunately, well, not I mean, Liverpool won leagues so that that's that's the that's the pinnacle really. So it's not unfortunately, but it's just it's I just don't think you can fabricate that last two or three percent. And I do think if if although it's only a small sample size, you know, the evidence suggests that there has been has been some struggles. Um, you know, if I think the yeah. two two games for me that really highlight this since the restart are Palace and Burnley at home. Now, I understand there's other variables with it. You know, I think Burnley are better side than Palace obviously I think they defend better. Uh, I think they offer more Palace lost Zaha in that game. But look at the difference in performance levels for Liverpool. You know, they were right on the cusp of winning the league, really on a high. You knew that if they won, they could put the pressure on City. And then Burnley, you know, it was a they beat Palace 4 0 and then draw one one with Burnley. And um mm. I just think that they they're two really
1: good examples of the differences. Yeah. No, I agree. Um I think it's 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 easy to look at. It's easy to label them as professional footballers, but at the end of the day, for me, they're, they're still human. They're still, they're still people. Um, and I think the, the the natural enthusiasm within is, is almost certain to, to decrease a little bit in certain situations and stuff. If you do have in the back of your head that this result technically doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that's why, again, we see, a weird, we see weird friendly results every now and then. Weird results at the very end of the season, last day. It's usually like a 7 0 or a 5 3 on the last day of the season. Mm. And it's because there's just technically a little bit less competition. Josh. It, you know, there's no, no two ways Josh.
0: to Go, just, go on. Just on. Sorry, I just wanted to reaffirm your point. Um, you know, what people surely remember Alex Ferguson's last game as a manager, just won the league. And he drew five all away at Westborough. Yeah. Like that <laughs> yeah. that's a ludicrous result. That would not happen in January of that season. It just wouldn't have happened. Um yeah, it's and, case, you know, that's it. it's the uh, perfect example that would never have happened midway through the season when they're chasing the title, but end of the season, titles won. Even even the motivation of the last game of the season for like Ferguson wasn't, you know, wasn't enough to stop this crazy game of football.
1: Yeah. Uh just one final point on Liverpool Arsenal that I just I just picked up on at the end of the game. Uh we brought on a <laughs> uh, and we brought on Segary. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah we brought on the League again and I saw Clark distinctly saw him say to one of the players that we he, he, he you know he they played them saying 4-2-3-1, so we, we, we moved to 4-2-3-1, but it, it's a system, it's a formation I think he likes, I think he's always liked it, he used it at Dortmund. I think he, when Shaqiri first came in, he was really keen on it, particularly against opponents that weren't very good. We used Salah as a nine, Firmino as a ten, Shaqiri on the right and Mane on the left. Obviously Shaqiri's been injured and stuff like that, and this opened up the possibility to do it, I suppose, but I think with are going with which is likely I suppose. And bring in region. Uh it's I, I just think it offered a little bit more insight again, not that we need it into the into Liverpool's backups, not really offering maybe what Klopp would like them to. Um I, I just think we'd get a lot of value out of just even one, even even one really suitable backup, really suitable fourth attacker. But I think the reason we play four three three, I've said it before, is because the the quality of our third midfielder is gonna be considerably higher than the quality of our fourth attacker. And I just think, you know, when you're chasing the game like that as we was, we needed a goal. It's just frustrating that you know, you you bring on players like Riggy to try and get it. Hmm. Yeah. Well yeah. I, I, I agree, think I, agree. I agree. What was that time you made? I just saying this? This is a little bit of a recurring theme, you know, really, isn't it? I think this is something that we've mentioned a few times. It is, but
0: I mean, we've mentioned it a few times because it's it's been an issue for a few times, and the fact that Liverpool have been so fantastic with the starting eleven meant that it hasn't really been a bigger issue and hasn't impacted the success on the pitch. But you know, if if you would have lost any of that front three for a sustained period this season it then it could have been an issue. Um you know Liverpool haven't really got the squad have they to to play a 4 2 3 1 without a huge drop off in, in performance levels. Um I mean I'll be honest I don't want to get too too dramatic. But I do think it is going to be it could be a fairly big summer for Liverpool, you know, because yeah. from the outside looking in I think the side needs more versatility next season. If you look at the results from from basically, say, January, February onwards, obviously Liverpool still won most of the games comfortably, but um, there's also been the odd results in there if you include the Champions League games that you know they haven't gone the way. Um, I think teams are now starting to just discover a little bit of a blueprint to, to try and get results out of the current 4-3-3 formation. And that's not to say that um, Liverpool couldn't still go and win the league doing it next year but I think it would be a lot more difficult I think they need to be a little bit more versatile in the way they approach games probably introducing a 4 3 one on a more regular basis but as things stand for me Josh I don't think they haven't they've got the squad to, they haven't got the squad to do it have they and I think they, need to, they, need to, they do need to buy someone I think
1: Yeah I agree I looked at this a few weeks ago because I, I just looked at it from, from the perspective of Klopp really and I think, you know, Klopp's Klopp's been dealing with virtually the exact same squad for two years now. He's been able to motivate the squad. They've achieved everything you can achieve, really. Super cup, World Club Cup, Premier League, Champions League. Um and I think he's he's tried everything he can try with the squad in terms of moving players around, testing players in certain different positions, you know, Lalan has been used as a six. Chamberlain's been used in the front in the front three. Um, mino has been used on the right and on the left, I think. Um, just all kinds of different stuff, basically, different solutions. Um but I think, you know, the the longer we go without giving him new tools, the, the more those solutions kind of become a little bit stale and the more he's kind of gonna become out of ideas, really. That's why you maybe be you're gonna Maybe get to a point where you're reliant on the likes of Keiris Jones to offer your new solutions and Harvey Elliott before his time to offer your new solutions and stuff like that. And I think also it stems from what I've just been saying about the mental side. You know, from the perspective of the players and the squad, you know, I have no doubt that they're really, really professional. But if you've got no one challenging your position, you know, no new faces and stuff like that, it, 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 I think that, that sort of stuff can instigate competition. And I think if if you're not adding players and players start to feel safe, start to feel in a, com- in a comfort zone, it's never a good thing. A comfort zone is never a good thing. Um, mm. And yeah, I just think it's a little tiny bit of a concern ahead of the summer if Liverpool don't kind of just mix things up a little bit, mainly for Klopp, just, just so that he's got other ways to motivate and new tools to use, new things to try, new challenges to present to the players. Otherwise, we, we if we move forward again with the same four three three, obviously it's delivered to success. But you know, there's, there's only so much anyone can take really of of sameness before they kind of start getting a bit bored, really. Um, mm. Stop applying for, as well as they can do. Maybe I think I think it's good to give professional footballers like this. The odd little challenge. Like I think if I if I was a player and I was a Lana and Klopp came to me and said, you know, I want you to play as a six, what do you think? That that's a challenge there. But a Lana to kind of like, you know, okay, go on, I can, you know, I can apply myself to this. And I think Klopp's done as many of those as he can over the past two years. But it's getting to a point now where, you know, you, you just want some external stuff to to, to come in and kind of a uh, you know mix things up for you. Yeah, I um,
0: I think if we're being realistic and we think of the top sides over the past twenty odd years, I can't speak beyond that because I, I mean, one, I wasn't I wasn't watching regularly then, and, and, and two, I think the games changed so much. But if you think of the top sides in that time, I can't think of one team that has basically maintained as they are in terms of personnel and tactics for a period beyond two or three years. Or even United with, with all the Premier League titles they won. They were constantly evolving as a as a side and as a unit, and um, I think Liverpool on the cusp of of, of of having to do that. And it isn't being all doom and gloom, but it's just it's just the reality of if you want to stay on top. Um, I agree with every, everything you're saying about bringing fresh faces in to, to bring some fresh challenges to players already in place. Um, you know, I saw ironically on the team that we're going to be talking about in a minute, but I saw Giroud talking uh, in an interview. On Sky this morning, um, and obviously he was, he's been in in good form, um, scored some important goals and playing really well. And he'd he said about how um, knowing that the likes of team are coming in and stuff is, is good for them because it's out a competition you got to find, you know, you got to compete for your place. And it, it's it's no coincidence, that, you know, Chelsea being linked with all these attackers, confirmed the likes of Werner, and then players already there like Giroud of. Found another level, even as a 34 year old, he's become a, an important player again. And you know, in January, he looked like he was leaving. Um, so it just shows that when you bring new players in, it's not always about what they'll bring to the team, but it's it's what they do for the players around them as well. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: I mean, we, we might as well move on to Chelsea, which spends a fair bit of time on Arsenal and extra stuff and things like that. So, um, before we get into the performances of Chelsea and what Liverpool are gonna face, I think we should probably talk about the fact that Chelsea seems to be buying every player in the world. <laughs> 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 um, now they seem to be buying a fair few quality attackers. Uh, I think it's fair to say the both Werner, the both him Zier and it it looks like they're buying Kai Havert, uh which is one hell of a summer. Um I don't actually have that much of a problem with it. I think i I've seen a lot of people mention, you know, the the, the Bayern and all that when they can't defend and stuff like that. But I have a few thoughts on that. Uh, I tweeted some yesterday. But I don't I don't see it as that much of an issue, particularly considering as you said you used four. William is leaving uh, on a free. Pedro's leaving on a free. Um and I think if you, if you look at, say, for example, you need, you need a, a centre-back, let's say. H- who, can you find a centre-back out there who, just off the top of your head, maybe who is as good of a centre-back as Havertz is an attacker, for example, or is as good of a centre-back as Werner is a forward? That sort of thing. I For me, no. Um, that's why I think it kind of makes sense to kind of exploit the market at the minute. Go and buy the likes of Havertz while you can. got no competition for him. He's clearly gonna be a world-class player. And further down the line, maybe when a centre back becomes available who's worth chasing, and there's no attackers that you're interested in buying, because you've got Havertz already there. If that makes sense for me. Um and if you look if you look at Kebba, for example, he spent 72 million on Keba two years ago. I, if I was running Chelsea's recruitment, I wouldn't be comfortable already accepting defeat regarding that and spending another so much on a replacement for Kepa, and then either keeping Kepa as a sub, seventy-two million pounds sub, or trying to look, trying to sell him for like maybe half the price. So I think I'd give, I give think I give give Kepa a bit more time. But yet yeah, the whole concept of buying these quality attackers, I don't have a. I think it's it's a good idea. Uh, okay. I think you, yeah. (laughs) I think it's
0: a it is a good point you make. I understand in terms, especially so much exploiting the market whilst you can. It, it, I suppose it depends. If 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 Chelsea are seriously talking about being in a transitional period as a club with Lampard in charge, then yeah, that would make sense. The reason being because I think, despite the attacking talent they'll have next year, um. If Havertz does come in along with who else they've bought, they won't be able to compete with Liverpool or City because you need maybe ten years ago when you win the title with seventy odd points, maybe that's a bit extreme, but you know, around those those figures, you could get away with um bad defensive performances and losing a few, you know, four or five games. But the way it is now you have to you have to get like around ninety points, don't you, to to win the league title. And I think you won't be able to do that with a subpar defence you know a, a, maybe a top six or seven defence and goalkeeper that's what I think Chelsea have at the moment so look if, if they're willing to accept that they're not going to challenge next season then fine yeah I agree get the attackers in the squad now whilst you can and then maybe next year look to strengthen the defence or or goalkeeper um, but I just don't think Chelsea are patient enough you know I think they, they say the right things but the track record says that they're not and I think if, if put this way, Josh, I think if they were sixth for the bulk of next season, I think Lampard would be at risk of getting
1: sacked. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, so do I, yeah. But I think uh, what, so what I'll say is, yeah, what, what I'll say is, uh, with with what I said there in terms of I think it's a good idea and stuff like that, it's a good idea if you don't expect to win the title next year. I mean, if, mm. if they yeah. don't do this, so, you know Shine have it and, and that sort of stuff they're going to be really really good don't get me wrong but i agree in terms of i don't think they'll be 90 points plus good um and that's what you're going to need to be to, to beat liverpool and city um but what, what i think is a good idea i think it's a good idea if if you're going to give him another year and then challenge for the title Um, that's what i'd give Keppa, i'd give keper another season he's still only 25 and stuff like that um and I also think as well, the more attacking your lineup is, the more defensive the other team usually becomes. It's just, I think it's natural almost to go within yourself within yourself if you're looking at a ridiculous attacking team like Guardiola Fields basically, you know, so, sometimes eight midfielders, nine midfielders and things like that, and it's 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 Mental and Eelfield mm. a front three. And sometimes, the midfield three behind that front three could play as a front three for most Premier League teams. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, you could play... De Bruyne plays in midfield for them, and David Silva plays in midfield for them. Sometimes, Bernardo Silva, they're good enough to be attackers for most teams, but the the midfielders for City. And I think it it puts puts the fear up most opposing managers and they, they go within themselves, play a back five, and just hold on, basically. Mm. I, I think I think if Chelsea is to win the league, they, they probably do need a new goalkeeper and probably do need a few better defenders. But I think it's I think it'd be a bit. Unre- I don't think I'm not sure if you'd say it's a Lampard, but I think it would be a bit unreasonable for them to expect to win the league next year. I think the next year after you get expect it, but that. I, I just want to clarify that, like, you know, signing these attacking players, and that, I mean that with the context of, you still can't expect them to win the league next year. Yeah. I, I don't think
0: they'll win the league next year, but I definitely believe with the kind of momentum, because this season's probably going to finish with them, finishing the third, maybe, isn't it? Um, we don't know, but just, it might depend on tomorrow's results, actually. Um, but they could potentially win a, a trophy as well. Um and I think if they have that, they'll be thinking that's the platform to go maybe not win, it but certainly be turn the top two into a top three next year, but as a, you know we've saw with city city uh, an elite unbelievable side going forward, but what's been the difference between them and Liverpool this year that defense um so yeah yeah it's I think you are correct, get the players in that's smart business that's something maybe you'd you'd expect from a liver Liverpool basically. Um, I just think Chelsea is so impatient that you know if they didn't finish top three next year after this season, I
1: think the Lampard
0: would be under scrutiny. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm just looking at the table here. I mean, we, we could maybe have a little look at forecasting it now, sort of thing, because after after 36 matches, Chelsea have 63 points. Um, so I I, I reckon they need. Say for example, he finished with I don't know. Say for example, he finished with about sixty-seven points or something like that from the final mm. two games yeah. or whatever. Um, I reckon they need about twenty points more to to even challenge for the title, really. Uh, Liverpool are currently on ninety-three. Last season, Liverpool finished second, and I think it was ninety-seven. So even if Chelsea add twenty points. This summit, they're still only going to be in the realms of challenging. Um, I, I think, I think having some Werner and see maybe as a, I don't, I don't know if they're all going to start on the same team, but I think, I think you're adding about maybe ten to fifteen points there, something like that. Um, it's, it's still not, it's still not twenty points. It's, it's, it's still not. Um what's needed really to, to really bridge the gap in terms of Liverpool and City who looking at City here, it's actually quite surprising that City are on course for about an eighty point season. They're on course for about eighty one points, which in Guardiola's you know, nature that's that's really bad for a Guardiola team. In, We're rambling around No, no, sorry, no yeah but I, I don't <laughs> think people mind though dude but I it, it's funny though,
0: it's this is what I was saying earlier. I, sorry if anyone does mind, let us know, and we won't do this in the future. But I, don't, I feel like a lot of people who listen to the show are, uh, are also football fans rather than just you know Liverpool fans. Um, but just on that quickly, it is funny that you know eighty odd points, as I said earlier, that would that would win you the league the league in years gone by, and now that's that's. That's nowhere nearly enough. I mean, that's potentially going to be, just say they finish on eighty-one, and Liverpool pick up at minimum one more win. You know, that's yeah, that that's beyond I think fifteen points difference in in, in, in between first and second, which is it's a
1: huge amount, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, and I'm just looking at the the past leagues here now. So the the league hasn't actually been won. Um, with less than 90 points since, in fact, 90, less than 93 points since 2015 16. You had, oh, you shit. had, you had, and, and, <laughs> no, no, you're saying no, you are, you are right, it's just, it's just a very, a very modern, weird thing that's happened in the league. But in, in 16 17, you had Antonio Conte's Chelsea, they won 30 out of the 38 games he played, then you had Guardiola. You had Guardiola, and now you've got Klopp. Um, but before that, Leicester won the league on 81 points, and then before that, Chelsea won the league on 87 points. So, as I said, Chelsea are probably after about another 20 points to win the league in the that era, the years gone by, maybe. I think with Klopp Klopp and and Guardiola, you are looking to breach the 90 points. 90 points mark, and yeah, Chelsea are going to need a fair bit more before they do it. They're probably going to need a new goalkeeper. They're probably going to, to probably need a little bit of a new defence. Um, One of the reasons they're going to need a new goalkeeper is because, I'm going to share the screen, uh, those are the shots from open play, I think, that Kepe has
0: yeah, love that shot, Ma. I'm just gonna go on mute Go on, go on mate, So
1: away. Uh, yeah, those are the shots kept face this season. I think it's my I think it's just. I think it's just Chelsea actually. because uh, he had a few matches out with Willie Cavallero in goal. Um, those that are greyed out uh, missed the target. Those that are coloured. Obviously, found a net and those that are stars, sorry, those that are coloured, found a target, and the stars found a net. Um, as you can see, obviously Chelsea have conceded a lot from the, the penalty spot kind of area, but the Wolves also have conceded a fair few from outside the area. Um, one, two, three, four, five. I think you've said before, David. I don't think Allison has conceded from outside the box in the Premier League yeah, that's for Liverpool. Correct. Yeah, that, that's yeah. across this season and the last. star. Yeah, but there's just a few shots there. Looking at like maybe this one over here. Again, apologies for those who are listening and watching. This one over here. Maybe this one here. They're just shots that you, you don't really want to see if you're going for the lead side one. I think. I'll tell you what, Josh, I think- that, uh, there's
0: one bang in the middle there. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. Um, it you know I had a really. It was a really light star as well, so it must have had a really low uh, XG value on it. And uh, it just looked like a stinker. It's the kind of goal that you just wouldn't see it, you know, like an Allison concede. Just uh, can you see it? Centre, quite far back.
1: Uh, This one?
0: No, no. It could go further out from goal, distance wise, away from the goal. One more. Keep going up. No, uh, even another one. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, that's,
1: I what's happening.
0: That. I'll have to look out for that goal see
1: what it was yeah I've also got no idea why that one's such a high XG maybe um, maybe that was an open goal wasn't
0: yeah potentially yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah just to put a little bit further context into into Kepa I think in particular no Chelsea Uh the was on Chelsea sorry but Kepa's been in goal for the whole season anyway Um have saved 70, uh, six, 56.1% of the shots on target that they've faced this season, Chelsea. That's really bad. That means mm. there's essentially a, a one in two chance of of your shot on target finding the net against Chelsea. That's the worst in the league, and it's by by far as well the the only team in the fifties. I think Liverpool are about seventy six percent. Um. The vulnerable from set pieces, you know, we scored two against them at Stamford Bridge in the league. Um, they've conceded thirty-four of their goals from open play, which is quite a lot. But they've also conceded fifteen from elsewhere. And when I say elsewhere, I just mean, you know, corners, direct free kicks, penalties, set plays, that sort of thing. So, I think if Lampard is going to is going to actually win the league at any point, he needs to, to sort out those additional basically conceding from yeah. Yeah. set plays and conceding goals from shots on target so easily, which is why you might need a new goalkeeper soon. Um, and that sort of thing. And it, I think, you know, if, if you're Liverpool and you're coming up against this team as as we are tomorrow night, you know, we're recording on duty, it's just a team that I think you can you can look at getting at outside of open play in, in other areas and stuff like that.
0: Yeah,
1: I I mean yeah, yeah, I totally agree I mean, that
0: yeah. Um I think they're, sad, they're dangerous gonna give Liverpool a tough game like they have done in the is it three times they've played each other this season already. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I haven't I haven't really enjoyed any of them. Yeah. Tough games. They've been tough games, you know. It was a a, a draw in the Super Cup. I know Liverpool went on to win on penalties, but it was a draw across the 120 minutes of football. Tight game at Stamford Bridge in the league. Um, as you touched on there, set pieces basically was the difference on the day. And then defeating the in the FA Cup game. I know Liverpool uh, rested one or two, but it was still a fairly strong side that they had out. Um, so, yeah, just... And what, what I tell you what I did, I did pick up on over that FA Cup game was... Uh United to played Chelsea just as many times this year, hadn't they and um united to come out on top in all three I think in some elements of maybe Solskjaer over overthinking that game and the FA cup semi final, but I thought it showed lampard um in a good light in terms of his tactical abilities he's able to learn from previous defeats and and you know find a, a game plan that that then works to to get the results and I just as I said I think um I think that's that's that could be a risk in the in the game on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, I mean just a little bit more than Chelsea beginning to favour four three three it seems I think they they were really, really flexible at the start of the season, different formation every match. I think they've played forty three virtually every week for, for quite a while and with would Sitch Pure and William either side of um Giroud. And they're actually in fairly good form as well. I, I think they uh, they haven't actually done a match since the end of February, which is which I think is quite consistent. I think since mm. since the restart, they've they, I think they've won every match and lost two. Um, but they, they seem you know to avoid the draws, and they actually have taken more shots this season than Liverpool, surprisingly. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people would not expect that one. Especially considering Liverpool are top of the league by a, about 25 points more than Chelsea, I think. Mm. Um, and Thursday points maybe even. But I think it just goes to show Liverpool's defence is, is the difference making, really. Um. Yeah, have you ever got an intervention on now, Short Steve? Because I think a lot of people will be probably quite surprised by that. Yeah, yeah I am surprised. How many goals have they scored this year? Um... Uh, I'll double check that now. So, they've, they've scored
0: um, 64, which is around 13 less than Liverpool. Um, I haven't got the underlying numbers, I, I don't know if you've got them there. But for some reason, I make that
1: as 11 less than Liverpool. Liverpool around yeah. 75, according to these numbers here. Yeah. I've got
0: the... Um, um, what are you looking at there? I've, got, I've just got to put the table up on, on Google.
1: I've got F- FB rather, but maybe it's maybe it's a little bit different. Yeah, go by go by the table if you if you've got the table there, like Yeah, there uh, might just be a
0: couple of goals out. But um yeah, so I mean it's still a, it's, you know, both figures are virtually in the same ballpark anyway, aren't they? You know, uh thirteen or yeah. eleven goals. Um yeah, it'd be interesting in, to see what
1: those underlying numbers. I was gonna are. say it in t- in t- in terms of the shots, Chelsea have taken a total of thirty seven more. Than Liverpool, which isn't over a full season, it's not a great great deal of difference from match to match. I think from from match to match, Chelsea average sixteen point six, Liverpool average fifteen point six. So it's about one one shot more per game. So it's not that much of a big difference, but it's it's still a little, a little bit of a I suppose. Yeah, because you'd probably just
0: expect you know Liverpool to kind of be not. Not only in the same kind of ballpark, you'd expect them to to be comfortably more frequent frequent users than Chelsea. But um, I don't, I've just brought the the numbers up here. Um, yeah, so even though they've taken even though they take a lot more shots, they their post shot xG is fifty seven point eight this season, whereas Liverpool's is sixty four point three. So maybe they're just decided the they they've got elements of kind of shooting on site kind of behaviour. Yeah, and... I, I
1: I think they have. Yeah, I think Liverpool are a yeah. bit more inclined yeah. to uh, perfect the shooting locations really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. we'll move on then to so what will be the the final match of the season? Um, Newcastle United away from home. I think it's <laughs> relatively safe to say this this could be ending this really. Mm-hmm. Uh. Very, really, I think both, both teams are safe in their own environments, obviously. Um, and I think maybe I'm a little bit early in saying this, but it feels as though Newcastle are on the holidays a little bit. Um, the last five matches, draw, loss, 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 draw. Um, and the draw yesterday, I think it was against Brighton, that was nil nil. Um, and I didn't actually watch the game, but someone that I follow. Who uh, you know, just as tweets appeared on my feed, it said if you want to watch walking football, go and tune into Newcastle United against Brighton. So I think it's one of them where they've kind of tuned out a little bit. Um they've scored four goals in the last five matches and conceded twelve. So <clears throat> I think it's one of them where if Liverpool are really up for it and they want to go out with a bang, I think they potentially could. But I'm not I'm not really sure either team will have have to design on the day, but you know it's it's hard to uh, hard to predict that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I, I agree. I think they are going through the motions. Um I actually caught Bruce's interview from last night and he he he, he was basically talking about how it's been a, a, a very long season for them. Um, you know, he also touched on how long they've actually been safe from relegation, which is about six months, including the the is pandemic. It, yeah? Uh yeah, he said it was basically the victory against Southampton, which was around February. So, yeah, I don't know if it was mathematically safe, but you can you can, I imagine maybe it might have been 10 points with the remaining games to go. So it was very unlikely they were, they were going to go down. And as I said, it was his words. He said, you know, we've been safe since, since Southampton, which was, you know, six months ago. So um, what I'm finding with Newcastle is there seems to be so much focus on... Off the pitch and what's going to happen next season? That this season just seems a little bit of an inconvenience from this point onwards. You know, there's lots of talk about the takeover. No guarantees. Bruce is even still going to be there. I don't think he has any idea either. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think if Liverpool really wanted to go out with a bang, here, uh, they could. It's just it has potential to be a pretty either crazy game
1: or a really dull game of football. Uh, given that it's
0: next yeah,
1: enough, uh, yeah. Right, not rather than it. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's got that end of season feel where it could mm. be 8-4 or it could be <laughs> you know, minus one, minus one or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's interesting as well that since um, in, in those five matches that I've that I've just mentioned, they've used a different formation in every single one. Um, I'm not sure if they're a little bit up and down with injuries. I think and all the cells is out. I think Saint Maximum is is available, but I think he had maybe one or two matches out, and I think they had a little bit of a crisis. Mm-hmm. According to expected goals, uh, excluding penalties, Newcastle, the second worst attack in the league, be uh, um, ahead of only Palace, uh, in terms of expected goals against, they are seventeenth. So you technically have there, at least according to XG, which, you know, we obviously know has its limitations and it's highly focused on shot locations over anything else. Doesn't really consider set pieces very much if you're taking shots with your head, you know, they tend to be valued quite low. And I think Newcastle score a lot from set pieces, but the technically valued there really is as, as the, the, you know, the 19th best attack in the league and the 17th best defense. That is a recipe for relegation, but it, it just hasn't happened. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I I think one big thing
0: that they that they do is they, they've scored a lot of set piece goals, and it's it's I guess it's something that you have to admire because it's it's done enough to tip the scales in their favour in in tight matches. Um, and you know maybe like if you compare them to like a Norwich, who refused to kind of veered away from their their style, you know. They they're going down on a on a whimper, and I think Newcastle have maybe just adapted for this campaign. And you know, they could probably they're quite close, I believe, to um, Benitez's total last season. Obviously, Benitez got a lot of credit at Newcastle last year, and Bruce is fairly close to getting that point total. I think we know Josh, and obviously people listening know that those those performances, oh sorry, that that, that those results that he picked up and the points don't marry up with the performances, and you you can only outrun that for so long before it catches up with you. Um,
1: so, I, that, I think they need to improve. Go on, sorry. I'm just going to say that that would be the case, unless there's something that the numbers aren't picking up on in Newcastle's case. I'm not sure whether it is or not. Um, I think the set just... pieces the oh, yes. isn't it? Yeah, I think the set pieces is definitely on it. I think the fact that maybe whenever you do get a shot against Newcastle you do seem to be surrounded by players considering how deep the, the actual block is mm. um just for a bit of context on on Newcastle's attack oh never mind God I haven't been given the hosting right so I can not share the screen um, <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna show you I was gonna show you Newcastle shot because uh, it's quite mental um these shoot a often from really far out. I'm assuming quite a few of those efforts, John Joe Shelby. Uh, but yeah to just I think that a team that kind of embraces the the randomness a little bit and they really embrace counter-attacks and stuff like that. Um I think St. Maxim is, is is a player who the numbers won't really capture because he's he could sit on a low block for ninety minutes and the only times they get out could be him on the break. But because of what he can do on the break he can turn one quite useless attack into something that's really dangerous by beating three players. on. I haven't seen many players like him. To be honest, yeah. uh, I
0: mean, apparently I, I can I'm, now share the screen. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Just on him while you're getting that up. I do. I really like Saint Maximum. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a little bit raw. You know, final ball isn't always there, but he's he's up there with like a Torre at Wolves. Um, okay, he hasn't got like the physical strength, but I do. I do really rate him, and people forget he's still quite young. You know, Saint Maximum. He's uh, He's only like twenty three, twenty four. I'm sure. Um. So, I could see making a, a bigger move in, in a year or two. Yeah, he's only twenty three. Yeah. Just turned.
1: Uh, can you see the shot map? Yeah, it's come up. Yeah, we got. It. Yeah, as you can see, a lot from far out. Um. Very random shot map, and there's not there's not too many goals either from outside the box. Uh, a few close to goal, obviously, but I think every team has a few of them. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, I think that just kind of catches catches Newcastle, Liverpool. I mean, that's a, would you say that's. I don't think it's quite fifty fifty inside outside the box. Is it? But it's not far off. I mean, it's um, a high proportion I think
0: those ones that are, there seems to be a large amount away from the edge of the 18 yard box as well which is 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 somewhere that you you wouldn't um you wouldn't push to be shooting from from on, on a regular basis i think in and around the 18 yard boxes is okay but a few of them you showed there they were basically on the edge of what, what i'd consider the attack and third and you'd have to have something special to be to keep it from from there but that i think that ties in with um being a side who sit fairly deep and you know progressing up to progressing the ball up to a certain part of the pitch but maybe not having the play the attacking players around to then formulate a decent attack in the attacking third so then opting to just unleash a shot from distance and open for the best.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Um we'll have to round up anyway soon because uh we've gone we've hit the mark, hit the hour mark, I think really. So Chelsea verdict what do you think? Um
0: it's tough this one. We we did it we wrote some previews, didn't we, for .com um Liverpool com a, a couple of weeks ago, and this for me was the hardest to predict because it you know, I think Liverpool will be on a high, but they might just be focused on what's gonna happen after the game and it's still a big game for
1: Chelsea. So I'm gonna go one one. Yeah, that was what was in my eyes as well. I think I've got one one in mind. But Considering how Liverpool have been on the defensive side lately, a little bit lacking lack concentration, and then considering how Chelsea approach the defensive side of the game, what Kepp is like and stuff, I wouldn't rule out like a two all or, or, or make me, you know. Having said that, I, I said before that Chelsea haven't drawn since since February, I think, or something like that, or since the restart, certainly. So I don't know. Difficult one to predict, but this is what's coming at the end of the season. We don't seem to be getting anywhere to the minute. Uh, <laughs> and then final game of the season, Newcastle.
0: Um, I'm I'm gonna go two nil Liverpool for that one. I'll be honest. I think, um, yeah, I just think Liverpool won't finish with a win. The the too, well, too strong. I think for Newcastle. So yeah, I'm going for the I'm going for Liverpool two nil.
1: I might um, go a bit more all out with that one. I I might go, uh, I might yeah. go down. Yeah, I'm thinking about maybe a four-nil or something like that. I think Newcastle might really lack interest a lot, and I think if if Salah is hungry for more goals and stuff like that, and he's got that kind of intent, on Newcastle without without cells and I don't know, I think Liverpool might score a few. So I'm gonna go three. Another think, but that that could be could be not much. It really hard to predict that one. Are um, oh, you not gonna go yeah, five? <laughs> No, I think I'll avoid that one. Maybe if Joe Linton could put the Josh, ball in the match, and then that's a bit better Like, but Yeah,
0: just just quickly, it just I, I wanted to check it after you mentioned about potentially a 2 all for this Chelsea game. Liverpool haven't, haven't drawn 2 all all season, have they, in, in the Premier League? I mean, they've only had three draws, obviously, but um, it was 2 I one, ones, them, one.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Which sort of um, be interesting if you uh, finally get one. Yeah, the last day of the season, yeah. So this this is the last uh, last episode of the season anyway, in terms of following the matches at least. Uh, obviously it's resulted in Liverpool winning the league, which is great. Um next week we'll probably review Chelsea and Newcastle and stuff like that. But moving forward in the summer I'm not exactly sure what we'll do. So if you've got any ideas, send them over. Thanks for tuning in throughout the season. Uh Dave, I know you've been dedicated, you've been, you know, fair play, hands up. Uh, how, do you, how do you
0: feel? <laughs> it's been tough. It has, you know, even for someone who, who considers themselves fairly objective. Uh, but no, I enjoyed the show. It's just, uh, it's just everything. It's, else it's surely better than losing,
1: anyway.
0: I think, that, a, yeah, it'd be a tough show to record if if the pool were really bad. Um, Bad enough when we have to do the Everton version sometimes, and yeah. uh, you know what that's like. I wouldn't like to do that twice a week, um, but no, this the show's been good, and you know, I'm sure everyone listening, uh, and yourself uh, have obviously had a great year, um, yeah, and um, it's probably a good good note to
1: end on. I think that, yeah, so, um, enjoy the end of the season, and we'll be back next week to talk about what happened. Thanks for tuning in. See you later.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.